What are our practice building blocks? A regular question that has been posed to me is, what does the odd practitioner need to assemble for his slash her? Practice? Behind this question lies the quest for clarity as to what constitutes the building blocks of our practice. My attempt to answer this question has often led me to reflect on the development journey of odd practitioners. The following steps are what most of us have followed in our quest for mastery. First, we started as tool-oriented technicians, mainly interested in what we could do to others and prove our worth. Slowly, we became more interested in the odd consultancy approaches, trying to honor the odd phases of work as we went about doing our job, empowering our clients as much as we could to build sustainability. As we went on, we often discovered, despite the tools and techniques and the consultancy template, our practice was still a bit hollow. It was then we realized that we needed to move towards a firm grounding of theories and actively translating theories into methods. Once we had the grasp of theories, we felt relaxed as we no longer needed to depend on specific tools, we could design any intervention based on theories. Next, we faced the need to ground our practices to something deeper, we questioned what values we held dear and struggled to use them as our rudder to decide our practices. Finally, when all of the above still didn't lift us into the consistent confidence zone, we realized perfecting our use of self and our practice was the only way that would get us there. This realization, and our willingness to engage in deeper inner work, propels us towards the journey to becoming a masterful practitioner. Of course these phases are rarely linear, and their progression is highly personal. Each phase will pose multiple challenges of growth, but together they are what we need to commit to if we want to refine our practice. So let's summarize the building blocks of odd practices. Tools and techniques, intervention that will execute our intent to enable the system to shift itself. These are our theories in action, chapter 5. Odd consultancy cycle, phases of engagement with the system as well as the delineation of major units of work that we will need to pay attention to in the helping process, chapters 3 to 6. Theoretical assumptions, we will look at our organizing theoretical frames which will give us firm grounding of the primary principles that govern our work. Our grasp of theoretical assumptions will help us both to know how to diagnose and what to look for as well as help us to formulate a hypothesis to be tested. They give us the platform for our design so that we will choose the appropriate action to take during diagnostic and intervention design phase, chapter 2. The value and ethics of odd, give us the parameters and moral guidance in our work. This is our practice rudder or container, chapter 1. The use of self, we are the engine, the instrument through which we do our work. We need to go within ourselves, in order to be impactful without. Chapter 7. Developing ourselves to obtain the five building blocks is a lifelong journey for those of us who have chosen odd as their professional field. This is what this book is about, how to obtain each of the building blocks. For now, in this chapter, I will focus on the theoretical basis of odd. The theoretical basis of odd. In this chapter I will. 1. Review the relationships between theory, research and review work undertaken on odd theories. 2. Review five core theoretical bases that shape odd practices. 3. Look at the methodological-slash-practical implications of the theoretical perspectives on two specific phases of odd work, diagnosis and intervention. The relationships between theory and research. As a practice field odd practices are derived mainly from core theories and research from various behavioral science disciplines. From the 1940s to now, Academics and practitioners have gone through various guises of relationship. In the early days, 
The separation between theory and practice did not exist as people like Kurt Lewin were simultaneously undertaking pioneer research and theorizing. He and his colleagues would then experiment with new practices from his many insightful theoretical prepositions. In fact, during the early stage, I became the action arm of basic social and organization research. As Lewin said, nothing is so practical as a good theory. So from the 1940s through to the 1970s, research and practice were relatively closely connected. Then in the 1980s, the changes began when the academic practice of organizational psychology moved its primary location from departments of psychology to business schools, and since then the relationship between research and theories has weakened significantly. In their critique of the widening gap between theory and practice in Odd, Bunker et al., 2005, encouraged practitioners to do more to strengthen the field by increasing two types of activities, a. do more to translate theory-based research into useful knowledge and practice, and b. invent new methods and concepts that can be used as organization interventions which in turn can inform theories. Their concern expressed the sentiment of many of the founders, theories are crucial in shaping practices. What theories? Odd is an applied behavioral science field, which means we accumulate our knowledge base from a wide range of theories. Each theory offers a certain perspective to guide our work. In reality, very few practitioners are pure subscribers to one theory. Often, our client situation is so unique that we take whatever we need from various theoretical perspectives in order for us to create a composite perspective to work. In his chapter on odd theories, Burke, 2006, said that there is no single theory or conceptual model that is representative or by itself encompasses the conceptual field or the practice of odd. Instead a series of mini-theories have made an impact on odd consultative practice. He referred to them as mini not because he thinks these theories are conceptually lightweight, but because each helps to explain only a portion of organizational behavior and effectiveness. Burke's mini-theories include The individual approach to change, Maslow and Herzberg, expectancy theorists, Vroom and Lawler. Job satisfaction theorists, Hackman, Oldham and Skinner. T-group approach to change, Lewin, Argerus and beyond. The total system approach to change, Likert, Lawrence and Lorsch and Levinson. Burke also references others whose impacts on odd practice are significant not so much via their theories as via their descriptive work on specific areas. They are Blake and Mouton's Managerial Grid, 1978, a model of managerial style. A practice-oriented contribution such as Beckard, 1969, Schein, 1969, or Walton, 1969, Bennis' work which is broadly explanatory and provocative, 1966, 1967, 1969, 1970. Burke's analysis of these theorists and practitioners is very insightful, hence I highly recommended reading his chapter. A recent count of theories led to over 100 theories. So where does one start? The focus of this chapter will be on what I call five major core theories that I have identified as having significant impact on odd consultative practices. However, before I review these five core theories, I would like to beg forgiveness from colleagues who have different views about which theories are core and which are not. I have no intention of declaring exclusivity, except to say these five are where I would advise those who are starting the profession to begin. As I progress in my practice, my theoretical basket gets fuller as many other theories offer unique insights to help me get a better grasp of human nature and system dynamics and offer me psychological insights in supporting people through tough changes. But for now, 
I will start with these five. Five core theoretical bases that shape odd practices. Figure 2.1 shows the theoretical roots of odd. There are two layers of theoretical roots, some of them are from earlier times, as signified by the depth of the root, and have exerted a lengthier influence on our thinking. Some have emerged more recently, hence their roots are shallower, yet they have all made a significant impact on our practice. Figure 2.1 Theoretical Roots of Odd Copyright Quality and Equality Limited In this section, I will focus mainly on five core theories that impact significantly on the way odd practitioners work. Knowing the gist of these theories forms clear reference points in our practices across all odd consultancy phases. It is important to clarify that while this is a theory chapter, it is not my aim to give a substantial academic appraisal of the theories. Instead the purpose is to signpost the direction of travel by giving sufficient description of the key points of each theory from a practitioner's perspective in bullet points within a grid. Deeper grounding in theory should be a longer-term goal for every practitioner. The robustness of your practice is dependent on how well you understand the complex intricacies of these diverse theoretical gems. The five core theories we will cover are 1. Systems Theory 2. Action Research Theory 3. Change Theories, Field Theory, Group Dynamics and Three-Step Model of Change 4. Social Constructionism, Appreciative Inquiry 5. Complexity and Chaos Theories 6. Dialogical Odd Theory 7. Social Discourse Theory, to be explained in the next chapter. Systems Theory Ludwig von Bertalanffy first articulated the principles of general systems theory in 1950, and Katz and Kahn were the first to apply open systems theory to organizations in 1966. According to French and Bell, 1999, 82, systems theory is one of the most powerful conceptual tools available for understanding the dynamics of organizations and organizational change. Figure 2.2 Core Concepts from Systems Theory What is a system? In odd terminology, it can be an individual, a team, a subunit, a unit, a division or a total organization. However, in order to study and understand how systems operate, we have to see them in relationship to each other. The following definitions of system help to clarify the concept. A set of objects together with relationships between the objects and between their attributes, Hall and Fagan. 1956. System is a set of elements standing in interaction, von Bertalanffy, 1956. An organized, unitary whole composed of two or more interdependent parts, components, or subsystems, and delineated by identifiable boundaries from its environmental supersystem, Kast and Rosenzweig, 1985. A system is an arrangement of interrelated parts. The words arrangement and interrelated describe interdependent elements forming an entity that is the system. Thus, when taking a systems approach, one begins by identifying the individual parts and then seeks to understand the nature of their collective interaction, Hannah, 1988. Action Research Theory Kurt Lewin's planned approach to change comprised four elements, field theory, group dynamics, action research and the three-step model of change. Many tend to treat them as separate elements of his work, but Lewin himself saw them as a unified whole, all being necessary to bring about planned change, all port. 1948, Barkel and Barr, 1992, Burns, 2004, Kippenberger, 1998A, Smith 2001. 
While these four theories have suffered much criticism for being considered old-fashioned, they remain the theoretical pillars for odd practice. Few social scientists can have received the level of praise that has been heaped upon Kurt Lewin. Tolman, in giving his memorial address for Kurt Lewin, stated that. Freud the clinician and Lewin the experimentalist, these are the two men whose names will stand out before all others in the history of our psychological era. Edgar Schein, 1980, 239, referred to Lewin as the intellectual father of contemporary theories of applied behavioral science. At the heart of Lewin's work is his humanitarian commitment to build civil society by resolving conflict, whether religious, racial, marital or industrial. The key to resolving social conflict, according to him, was to facilitate planned change through learning, and so enable individuals to understand and restructure their perceptions of the world around them. Here, I will focus on his first major theory, action research. Action research is a cornerstone of organization development, underlying both the theory and practice of the field. Lewin believed action research would address several needs an individual has during change simultaneously, Lewin 1947, 143-53. Figure 2.3 Core Concepts from Action Research Theory The Pressing Need for Greater Knowledge About the Causes and Dynamics of Social Issues The Need to Understand the Laws of Social Change the need for greater collaboration and joint inquiry between the practitioners and those who are experiencing the change, system members. The need for richer data about real-world issues to increase motivation for change. The need to discover workable, practical solutions to problems that are owned by those who are affected. The importance of staying in the learning stance throughout the change journey. Lewin advised, no action without research, no research without action. The significance of this theory is hard to comprehend until you come face to face with its practical utility in intervention. Almost nothing works as well as interventions derived from this theoretical perspective. Lewin's change theories, field theory, group dynamics, three-step model of change. Lewin was the first psychologist to write about group dynamics and the importance of the group in shaping the behavior of its members, Allport, 1948, Bargill and Barr, 1992. The word dynamics comes from a Greek word meaning forces. So group dynamics refers to the forces operating in groups. It is the studying of these forces, what gives rise to them, what conditions modify them, what consequences they have, etc., that makes up the theory of group dynamics. Lewin's pioneering work on group dynamics not only laid the foundations for our understanding of groups but also helped us recognize the need to provide a process whereby the members could be engaged in and committed to changing their behavior. Field theory is an approach to understand group behavior by trying to map out the totality and complexity of the field in which the behavior takes place. Lewin defines the term force from a psychological construct. He believes that individual behavior is a function of the group environment or field. Consequently, changes in behavior will stem from changes in the forces within the field. Lewin's three-step model, unfreezing, movement, refreezing, is highly related to field theory. Lewin believes that our behavior is based on a quasi-stationary equilibrium supported by a complex field of driving and restraining forces. The equilibrium needs to be destabilized first, unfreezing, before new behavior can be adopted. So the concept includes unfreezing, destabilizing the status quo, movement, creating the motivation to learn, aided by action research approach, and then refreezing, 
seeking to stabilize the group at a new quasi-stationary equilibrium in order to ensure that the new behaviors are relatively safe from regression. Figure 2.4 Core Concepts from Field Theory, Group Dynamics and the Three-Step Model of Change Social Constructionism, Appreciative Inquiry A major focus of social constructionism is to uncover the ways in which individuals and groups participate in the creation of their perceived reality. It involves looking at the ways social phenomena are created, institutionalized and made into tradition by humans. A socially constructed reality is one that is seen as evolving mainly through dialectical interaction, and reproduced by people acting on their interpretations and their knowledge of it. This is different from realism, which is the doctrine that the external world exists independently of our representations of it, which include perceptions, thoughts, language, beliefs and desires. Figure 2.5 Core Concepts from Social Constructionism and Appreciative Inquiry The origins of social constructionism are in the work of Mead, 1934, who found that children learn to interact with others by assimilating a shared system of symbolic representation, which in turn helps them to derive meaning from the social situation. Her work went in parallel with that of Vygotsky in the early 1930s who believed that children internalize dialogue with others and then gradually acquire understanding of the social and cultural meanings of their environment. These meanings mediate the relationship between language and cognition. The fact is, we cannot know the situation on its own terms, but, as most anthropologists remind us, only through the conceptual and linguistic structures of our own culture. The lesson for us is to discover how people make sense of the world, not what the world is. Constructionism became prominent in the United States with Peter Berger and Thomas Luckman's 1966 book, The Social Construction of Reality. They argued that all knowledge, including the most basic, taken for granted common sense about everyday reality, is derived from and maintained by social interaction. The significance of this theory for practitioners is its belief that if reality is socially constructed, then it can be modified by injecting alternative conversations, stories and narratives into the system. Also, change leaders need to accept that reality is not one-dimensional and hence their job is to work with the diverse meaning of the change from the various stakeholder groups. Complexity and Chaos Theories Increasingly over the last two decades, both academics and practitioners have come to view organizations through the lens of complexity theories and this has a profound impact on our view of how organizations operate naturally and how they should be structured and changed. The work of Pascal L. 2000, 1-2, described complexity science this way. We are entering another scientific renaissance. Also known as complexity science, this work grapples with the mysteries of life itself, and is propelled forward by the confluence of three streams of inquiry, one, breakthrough discoveries in the life sciences, e.g. biology, medicine and ecology, two, insights of the social sciences, e.g. sociology, psychology, and economics and three, new developments in the hard science, for example, physics, mathematics, and information technology. The resulting work has revealed exciting insights into life and has opened up new avenues for management. The work of complexity and chaos theories was derived from different disciplines in natural science which range as far and wide as astronomy, chemistry, evolutionary biology, geology and meteorology where they have shown that disequilibrium is a necessary condition for the growth of dynamic systems, Prigozhin and Stengers, 1984. Black, 2000, emphasizes that under the umbrella of complexity and chaos theory there are actually a variety of theories, 
ideas and research programs that hold diversity of viewpoints about what complexity is and therefore he thinks we must use the term complexity and chaos theories as it is not a singular concept. The translation of complexity and chaos theory on organizations and leadership is championed by people like Stacy et al., 2002, Stacy, 2003, Wheatley, 1992, Black, 2000, and Morgan, 1997. They challenge how the organization should view change and its way of operating. In the words of Richard Pascal, stated simply, when societies, communities and organizations encounter the need for adaptive change, that is, change that departs from the trajectory of business as usual, social engineering doesn't work. And it never has, Pascal, 2006. Under this view, organizations, like complex systems in nature, are seen as dynamic nonlinear systems. The outcome of their actions is unpredictable but, like turbulence in gases and liquids, it is governed by a set of simple order-generating rules. Therefore leaders and change agents need to accept they cannot manage change, all they can do is to support the organization to move towards the edge of chaos and self-manage their change journey. Figure 2.6 Core Concepts from Complexity and Chaos Theories Dialogicod In spring 2015 a very significant book appeared on the market, Dialogic Organization Development, The Theory and Practice of Transformational Change, Busha and Marshak, 2015 The reason this book is significant is because the authors have pulled together the odd journey and evolution of the past 50 years and made both an academic and practice case to build an integrated theory of practice called Dialogic Odd. Through their special winter edition of Organization Development Practitioner Journal in 2013 and this 2015 book, they have found the logic behind why dialogic interventions succeed, what informed these approaches, etc. by their work, another body of knowledge has been built and the various publications that tightly or loosely fit into this theoretical orientation have been pulled together with a much greater sense of coherency. Odd is built on a set of democratic and humanistic values, hence it has always put a premium on gathering people together to meet face-to-face, working through the issues that matter or are of great concern to them so that by being together they will engage with each other in generative dialogue to find ways to move forwards together. This value in action has established a solid foundation for the dialogic approach in the practice of odd. This approach continues to be used even through the dominance of the mechanical period of change, but it has been treated mainly as an intervention, not a dominant coherent framework for change. In the early stages, most odd practitioners were not as equipped as we are now in our methodological competence or our philosophy of scientific understanding. With the search of dialogic methods, between 27 and 68, depending on who you ask and how they are being counted, the time had come for these two academically distinguished scholars and practitioners to look retrospectively at the theory and use dash examine what the philosophical and intellectual bases are for this approach and why, when this approach is used thoughtfully, it always produces better and more sustainable results than most other audit interventions. For those of us who have participated in a T-group, NTL has been offering T-groups for over 40 years, we know the dialogic approach to change is deeply embedded in the design of experiential laboratory education. The reason a T-group has a transformative impact on those who attend is that through social discourse and dialogue, Individual fundamental schema are disrupted and alternative generative images are put before the individual from which they can choose whether they will be bold enough to step out of their own constraints and move towards alternative imagery, text, language and therefore action. 
The work done on team development in the U.S. military by Tannenbaum in China Lake between 1952 and 1953 and Shine's process consultation work are also built on this foundation. In fact, Shine uses a concept of creating cultural islands where safety is held by the process consultant is to enable members to talk and dialogue about the unspeakable that shares very similar desired outcomes as any interpretive type of intervention. This approach believes that through the power of social discourse and dialogue, change can happen. The purpose of any odd intervention is not so much to solve people's or teams' problems, as problems will always exist within a human group, but through process intervention we equip system members to learn what they need to do and learn to continuously use those processes for self-renewal and continuous adaptation for the future. The complexity and chaos of work added another dimension to this approach. Since no one can ever predict what type of change any system will need to deal with at any one time, the role of audit interventions are to increase the system's capability to self-organize, and to unearth the local wisdom so that they can also evolve. In their capability to break out from social, cultural, psychological and paradigm constraints to participate in continuous developmental work. In such complex situations, the role of odd practitioners will need to evolve also. When change cannot be managed as the agents will act autonomously in reacting to the situation, and network members will interact dynamically with each other in a way that will increase the complexity and chaos, our job is to watch for the emergence, and to nudge the system to identify alternative patterns that will help them to become more agile, adaptive and capable to work with emergence and change. Our job is not to manipulatively shuffle them down a particular change path. What Busha and Marshak have done is both brilliant and significant in terms of looking back on our historical journey to put coherence of our practice in this area and then move on to form an important theoretical orientation. I would like to formally salute them, even though I think their differentiation between diagnostic odd and dialogic odd is unnecessarily harsh. If I may use an alternative text and narrative to frame their work, I would say something like this. In different historical contexts, context is key in our work, the expert and diagnostic odd methods have served our work well, and their relevance still remains in certain consultancy situations. However, such approaches need to update themselves because of the environmental shift. We need to self-adjust work by leaning into our own discomfort to embrace a different paradigm which comes from a mix of experiential learning, group dynamics, social discourse, social construction theory, etc., and learning to go deeper into, and being better equipped in the dialogic way of change. The way I see this old-slash-new theoretical orientation is not so much about casting off, but adding on, aligning, and shifting into a different way of seeing for some, so that we will be even fitter for the organizations that we work with. I have confidence we can do that, as many odd practitioners are so heavily embedded in the core values of odd, we instinctively know using a dialogic approach to help a system to move on is in our blood already. In fact, both diagnostic odd and dialogic odd have different things to offer on our continuous journey in making a rich tapestry of our field of knowledge. As in any such journey, sometimes theories came first and guide our practice, while on other occasions our practices have matured to a point that working theories have emerged and dialogic odd fits into that category. Figure 2.7 Core Concepts from Dialogical Odd the 2013 Special Odd Practitioner Winter Issue on Dialogic Odd gave full coverage to the subject in the new book, which I had the privilege to preview, offers a rich feast of learning, so I would not attempt in this edition to give a full review of this theoretical orientation, but I hope figure 2.7 will give readers a grasp of this emerging change theory. 
I want to acknowledge much of the content of the grid is sourced from the range of articles in the 2013 special issue on Dialogic Odd and ODP. Figure 2.8 Dialogic Theory of Change Methodological-slash-practical implications of the theoretical perspectives The demands, nature and scope of a project will always have a major influence on the diagnostic framework and the intervention methods you select. However, in both of these odd phases, you will also need a solid theoretical grounding to guide your decisions. Otherwise your diagnostic process risks being guided mainly by your own perceptual lens or your client's perceptual lens or, worse, by both. In this section I will illustrate how each theory can support our decisions in these odd phases. Implications on the Diagnostic Processes In Figure 2.7 I demonstrate how each of the theories can help to shape the way I slash you look at a problem or issue. It is by the combination of these theoretical insights that you and I can reach a better solution. In reality, odd practitioners seldom rely on a single theory to guide their work, it is the rich combination of all these great theories that will make your work brilliantly successful. Methodological Implications on the Intervention Design Phase The brilliant thing about the theories that I have outlined is that once understood they can help us to do much better design. Their principles are there to guide us to construct activities that will help to move the system. The applications below are just a few ideas to illustrate how theoretical insights can impact on our design thinking. Figure 2.9 Different Theoretical Perspectives, Practical Implications for the Diagnostic Phase System Theory and Action Research Theory, Methodological Implications Whenever you can, design processes that will contain some of the following features. Send a team, preferably a mixed team, to investigate the outside world and bring outside data into the local system, do their own diagnosis. Maximize the interface between all those who work within the system and those who are outside, e.g. those who provide the service and those who receive the service, the funders and the fund recipients, the policymakers and those who are affected by the policy. They should share their perspectives with one another and help each other to get a more complete view of the issue. Give the local members an opportunity to interview each other for the specific purpose of expanding understanding of the interdependencies they have with others in the organization, hence how to think and act more as a whole. Equip and allocate clear roles to local leaders so that they can lead the change by involving others too. Work out the finer details of the solutions by sharing data, information and required outcomes with their staff. Give leaders the right capability of skilling so that they will be able to conduct dialogical processes with those who are affected by the change to seek their views on options for implementation, best leadership development tactics. Use many key people as researchers to investigate the current issues, and design processes to invite them to co-construct with others on how the performance in specific areas can be improved. Everyone affected by the change should have an opportunity to voice their opinion about the processes and vote for what they want, practice distributed leadership. Use whole system methodology whenever possible, bring together all those who will need to own and support the implementation of the change and design processes to help them to share and understand the need for change. Jointly analyze current reality and what needs to change. Generate ideas on how to change. Work together to set out implementation. Lewin's theories, group dynamics, field theory, Three-step model. Methodological implications. Whenever you can, design processes that will contain some of the following features. Always work at a group level or subgroup level. Always maximize group interface because if a group is 
Left alone, they will grow rigid. The job of the intervener is not to shift a group, but to set up processes to enable groups to shift each other through the quality of their interchange. Understand that 90% of the group dynamics are around the three issues, inclusion, affection and control. Design processes that will give opportunities for delegates to share laughter and warmth, as well as sharing, equalized, control. Work hard at the inclusion issue, whether you are working at individual, interpersonal, group or total system level. Pay attention to the membership groups and reference groups that individuals refer themselves to. Attempt to change the reference group prior to the intervention event, because by changing the reference group of those whom we are targeting, we can fast-track the change among those groups. Create a cultural island experience so that individuals can experiment with different norms and different ways of doing things. Make sure sufficient numbers of people are involved so that the actual norms will be shifted. Never aim for intervening in the whole organization, unless the size is small. Use opinion formers and think of tipping points. Categorize people into different segments. For example, segment 1 most. Critical politically, segment 2 those who are key in the implementation stage, segment 3 those who are key because of their competences, and so on. Work with each segment to create critical mass. Use emergent talents to get to the top leaders, especially if you ask the top leaders to nominate their emerging leaders to support the change intervention. Use methodology that will help to build self-induced forces to change by giving people an opportunity to personalize the case of change. Engage them to envision what the change will do for them, their teams and their organization. Involve people to become aware of the field in which they function as well as the forces brought about on their behavior. After the analysis, give them opportunity to ask so what? And now what? Put the whole field together to act out both the restraining and the driving forces, so that the group will gain a better understanding of those forces that influence them and each other. If appropriate, bring in outside forces, e.g. real clients, partners, supporters, etc., to intercept the strong current field in order to help the group to shift. Work hard on creating the three conditions of unfreezing the organization that Shine talked about, disconfirmation of the validity of the status quo, induction of guilt, survival anxiety, and creation of psychological safety. Aim to use highly engaged methodology to do data collection as part of unfreezing. Involve people to help identify what would be the refreezing mechanism as they pay attention to the field and forces. Complexity and chaos theories and social constructionism theory, methodological implications. Whenever you can, design processes that will contain some of the following features. Use dialogical-based methods, e.g. the art of focused conversation, to help people make sense of the situation and work with others to come up with solutions that would help them to commit to change. Shifting paradigms require a structured way of dialogue and inquiry, not tell and sell. Give people a chance to express their reality and the meaning they make of the situation from where they sit. Create the opportunity to get local microgroup members to participate, to co-construct. Use methodology that focuses on energy. Work through people's passion and value and help them to surface and share what matters to them. Use processes to help them care enough to self-organize to make things happen. Use human networks to spread the positive virus. Light as many fires as you can in local areas. Pay attention to the social aspect of the work situation and how people see their job in terms of social meaning. Satisfaction is related to whom they work for and whom they work alongside. Use creative art medium, theater, music, and storyboarding methods to tap into the creative side of people and to facilitate a more fluid expression of what is important to them.
Use powerful language and symbols to create a vision of the change agenda. Use positive psychology and strength-based approaches to build intervention. Summary The practice implications for our work from these theoretical insights are huge. First, they help build a platform for us to do robust design work. They have given us insight into how individuals, groups and organizations work. When these theories are brought together, their synergistic insights give us a much broader scope in understanding how organizations and groups operate. It is the mixing of insights from the different theories that gives us rich perspectives as practitioners. In the diagnostic phase, you can use systems theory to help you understand where the presenting issues are located in the organization and how they are reinforced by other parts of the system. The totality of the system perspective will alert us as to what else to pay attention to. Social constructionism theory will help us understand the meaning-making process of the organization's dominant narrative and see how you can moderate the type, frequency and quality of the social interaction among the members so that the dominant narrative can be challenged and an alternative can be put in. Action research theory can help you to gather local leaders and members to help them get involved in collecting and analyzing the data and to feed back their own data to their community. This will help them to own the decisions and hence motivate them to support the implementation. During intervention, we can draw on Lewin's various theories for insight into how to moderate the field forces of those groups we need to change. The three-step model also helps us to rethink the sequences of work. The complex chaos theories can help us to stir up the microgroups and set up the conditions to facilitate them to self-organize the changes they want to see. The combination of system theories and complexity theories can help us to execute change processes with ease both from planned and emergence approaches. Further application of these theoretical concepts will come alive in the odd consultancy cycle, chapters 3 to 6.